everybody, and welcome to the Rupa Subramania Show. I'm Rupa Subramania. Now, gender ideology is running rampant in schools across Canada. Students are being taught some incredibly inappropriate and crazy things, all in the name of inclusion. Here are some examples. Planned Parenthood uh, was recently suspended from schools in Saskatchewan after providing explicit content to the students of grade 9. The sex from A to Z cards were developed by the AIDS Committee of Toronto. They are, in, in quotes, intended for gay, uh, bi, and queer young people, end quote, and are described as, quote, a fun and accessible resource that facilitates humorous and frank discussion among young people about sexuality, HIV, and STD prevention, end quote. So far, so good. However, the cards unfortunately feature explicit language about sex, sexual acts, and certain fetishes. Here's another example. Last September, a gender expression guide was quietly released by the Renfrew County District School Board here in Ontario. It instructs teachers to not disclose the gender identity kids identify with to parents and guardians regardless of age if requested to do so by the child. Now, for the longest time, conservative politicians have avoided the issue of gender ideology out of fear of being accused of being transphobic. But parents and concerned Canadians all over the country are finally pushing back, forcing many politicians to stand up for parental rights and against gender ideology in Canada schools. Here are a couple of examples. The Saskatchewan government recently mandated parental consent for name and pronoun changes at school. The Manitoba premier says schools should inform parents if kids want to change genders. Some recent polls show that a majority of Canadians polled believe schools should tell parents if a child switches genders. Now, one of the most influential activists in this space in the fight against gender ideology is Chris Elston. He is better known as Billboard Chris. Chris has been on the front lines in the fight against gender ideology, protesting events that promote radical gender theories on children. And it's my great pleasure to have him on the show today to talk about some of the latest developments in the gender ideology space, both here in Canada and in the US. Chris, uh, welcome to the Rupa Subramani Show. Uh, it's a real pleasure and honor to have you with me uh, for the first time on the show. I uh, want to start by asking you about your uh, the protest uh, that you've organized uh, outside um, a couple of schools in Toronto. I believe it's coming up on September 22nd. Uh, it's similar to the protest that you organized uh, here in Ottawa back in June. Could you tell us a bit about this upcoming protest in September and what you're hoping to achieve? Sure. So I've had a few of these protests outside schools back when it was just me. I've done this in Vancouver, I've done this in Edmonton, it was just me. I did this in Toronto before, a few people came out with me and it caused massive news, even though there was a couple of us because all of the media came out and the entire community went crazy in the beaches area of Toronto. Then I had one in Ottawa in October of 2021. That was also crazy, a couple hundred counter protesters, just two people came out with me. So fast forward about a year and a half from those initial school protests that I had, the last one in Ottawa had probably close to 500 people supporting me and Josh Alexander, this amazing student activist who got kicked out of Catholic school because he refuses to yield 
for the cult of gender and he stood up for some girls that didn't want boys in the bathroom and he's just not going to lie and say there were two more sexes so he got kicked out of school but we had this protest in Ottawa it was great biggest protest Canada had, had. now we're having another one in the Toronto area so Maxime Bernier is going to come I'm sure a lot of people from the previous one will come and because it's in Toronto that's a very populated area I hope we get a similar turnout but it doesn't really matter to me how many people come out it just matters that we're doing something because my message to everyone is always just go do something out in the real world because the counter protesters are sure to come all the media is sure to come and so I'll just get my message out there one person at a time like I've been doing for almost three years now yeah I mean you've been on the front lines of this movement for a few years now um some um at a time when it was just you and maybe a few other people um have you noticed that more people are now uh starting to see things your way uh do you are you seeing more people rallying behind you and standing up against um um this 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 very um uh, very destructive uh ideology yeah so People have always been supportive of this cause. It's not my cause. This is the cause of parents and children. This is a cause of truth, but people have always been supportive. It's not controversial to say that girls are girls and boys are boys, and we shouldn't be trying to do childhood sex changes. Mm -hmm. But everyone was afraid to speak up, and we had the tyranny of the minority, supported by wildly leftist governments and teachers' unions, and the far left pushing this cult-like ideology all throughout society. And as we've seen in other movements throughout human history, the majority can easily be cowed into silence. So I felt it was important to go out into the real world, to have these conversations myself, but to start conversations. And that's what I do. I start millions of conversations. I get my tweets or my posts on X now get seen about 5 million times a day. And so I'm just starting lots of conversations and I keep going one conversation at a time. But always people have been supportive. It's just that now people are more educated. They didn't know about this three years ago. Now they know about it and they keep learning a little bit more. And the more they learn, the more this fire inside these moms and dads especially gets lit. And there's no stopping our momentum. I tweeted out the other day, the most important thing we can do is awareness campaigning. Letters and emails to politicians and petitions, as far as I'm concerned, are pretty much a waste of time. We have to keep this awareness campaign going. We have to educate the masses because when people find out what's going on, they never unlearn it. And we are activating all sorts of people to fight within their sphere of influence. Yeah. So can you tell me about some of the changes that your activism has uh, um, uh, has resulted in? Uh, um, uh, you, you talk about momentum. There has been a fair bit of momentum in the last few months, at least. Uh, uh, we've seen at least um, overseas, we've seen in certain countries, they've uh, put a stop to puberty blockers uh, in places like Sweden, Norway, the UK, I believe, as well. Um, and uh, and then most recently here in Canada, uh, the Saskatchewan government, I, uh, I believe, said that uh, parents need to be informed if their uh, kids at schools are, you know, uh, uh, um, talking about pronouns and that sort of thing, uh, that parents need to be involved. The New Brunswick government did something similar about a few months ago. Um, I feel like 
these are tangible um, results that one is seeing, even in a place like Canada where things are very slow to happen. Um, can you tell us a bit about, uh, from your perspective, uh, given all of the work that you put into, what are some of these changes that you're seeing on both sides of the border? Right. So I knew that by creating massive amounts of awareness, other people with their own responsibilities and their own hats would come along to do their jobs. And that's what we're seeing. We've had 19 or 20 states in the US passed legislation to put a stop to child transition. When I say child transition, I mean puberty blockers, no more cross-sex hormones, the opposite sex's hormones are being given to kids and no more surgeries on kids, which is especially prevalent down in the States. Thousands of girls, minors as young as 12 years old have had double mastectomies. They do vaginoplasties, these castrations and these penile inversion surgeries on boys as young as 16 in some states. But all the red states now are on board. Mm. I was meeting with members of Congress and some staff from the House Oversight Committee just a year ago, last August, and nobody wanted to touch this issue. They wanted to talk about men and women's sports because that's an easier win. People understand it right away. And this, they just didn't understand. They didn't have enough education about it. So that's totally changed over the past year. Just this past week, the official position of the Republican Party, they passed a resolution. It's now the official position for all the states and the federal party to condemn child transition. So it's been a huge switch. This is now the number one issue in the culture war every night on conservative media. It's talked about day and night, every single day. Millions are getting educated every day. And then in countries in Europe, we've had England, Finland and Sweden, where the medical bodies all conducted reviews of the evidence and found there was no evidence to support that this was helping the psychological well-being of these children. So if it's not helping them psychologically, what are we doing cutting off body parts and stopping their development and turning them into lifelong pharmaceutical patients? So the only kids who will be able to take part in this in the future will do so as part of a research clinical trial. I still don't agree with that, but at least from thousands, this goes down to a very small number and it will be kids where they've ruled out other mental health comorbidities as well. Because with all these children, there is always something else going on. These kids have autism about half the time. They're kids with borderline personality disorder. They've been abused or sexually abused. Girls who've been sexually abused aren't loving being a girl right now, obviously. And if you give them an out where they can just escape from their sex, some of them will take that option. These are kids with eating disorders. They're kids who are cutting. They're coming straight from the psychiatric unit of children's hospitals. And now they're being taught that gender is the source of all their problems because they were born in the wrong body. This is extraordinarily abusive psychologically to tell a child that they were born wrong. And so that brings us to this other thing you just mentioned, pronouns in schools, what we call social transition. Social transition, more accurately, we should call this a psychological intervention, is when a child takes on a new name and new pronouns. And they're doing this at school because they're being indoctrinated in school. And it has been the position of every single Ministry of Education across Canada to hide from parents that their own child has a new name, that their own girl is being called a boy. And so whenever I give these talks, I want people to think about this for a minute. What message are you sending a child? Are you sending a little girl when you call her he, him? The message you're sending is that she was born wrong, that she needs to be something that she's not that she needs to be a boy to find true happiness. Mm. 
What kind of abusive nonsense is that? The message we should be sending all of these kids is that they're beautiful just as they are. No drugs or scalpels needed. Yet this teaches them they were born wrong and they'll only find true happiness if they block their physical development, go on the opposite sex's hormones and get body parts cut off. These girls, and it is primarily girls who are affected by this now, it's about three to one, but I don't wanna ignore the boys because that's rising too. But these girls, after they've been on estrogen, or sorry, after they've been on testosterone for four or five years, they have to get hysterectomies because it causes vaginal and uterine atrophy. They're also getting what's called a bilateral oophorectomy where they cut out their ovaries. Now they can never produce estrogen for the rest of their life. We're sending teenaged girls into menopause and calling this a loving thing to do, reducing their quality of life, reducing their lifespan, early onset osteoporosis, early onset dementia, problems with their liver, early diabetes. We don't know what the lack of their own hormones are doing to their cognitive development, but a study that was done on sheep showed that these sheep suffered cognitively when they were given this drug. The drug that's given to these kids, normally it's called Lupron. The technical term for these drugs, they're called gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonists. Mm. And they stop the, this drug stops the pituitary gland from releasing luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone, which in turn trigger estrogen in girls, testosterone in boys. This drug takes that down to zero. So the idea is they want to keep these kids looking neutral so that they can pass better as the opposite sex. And the real goal for these kids is always to go on the opposite sex hormones. So when these activists talk about this, they say that puberty blockers are fully reversible. And the sales pitch is that it just buys the child time to explore their gender identity. It's total nonsense. We know from, from various gender clinics that 98% of the kids who start on puberty blockers go on to cross-sex hormones. So that's really what they're signing up for. And then they're suffering irreversible harm. And then they end up going on to the surgeries, either as children or as 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. Sometimes they have to wait that long. It depends what jurisdiction you're in. But we know from historical studies into real gender dysphoria that started from a young age that 80 to 90% of these kids just grew out of it. The cure for gender dysphoria in almost all cases is puberty. Now we block the cure. The cure is time. Now we say, oh, these kids are going to kill themselves if they don't transition. And these children are being indoctrinated to believe that as well. And they tell the parents that you can have a live daughter or a dead son. So the whole thing is just manipulative garbage. It's all based on a lie. And we need to get back to the true body positive message. And parents understand this. So this upsurge in parents, and there's that march called the Million Person March going on on September 20th, two days before the protest I'm holding. I hope tons of people come out all across Canada. I hope they pull their kids from school to send a message. Because most teachers aren't on board with this either. But they've been silenced because the unions all push this. So we just got to get brave. And mm. thank you for letting me rant for a few minutes. <laughs> no, but rant away. Uh, just to just to ask you this uh, question, uh, Chris. I mean, I noticed a, an interesting conversation on Twitter a few days ago. When we talk about indoctrination, um, you know, that word can be applied to all kinds of different things, right? So there was this interesting back and forth be between two people. And there's one person said, well, look, what if a, uh, a girl shows up uh, at school uh, and she's she's uncomfortable wearing the hijab, but her parents 
or have forced this on her and she tells the teachers that she doesn't want to wear the hijab anymore. What does the teacher do in that situation, given that teachers must inform their the parents of what their kids are doing at school when it comes to social uh, uh, transitioning? Where do you see an issue like this fitting into the whole indoctrination um, uh, and um, uh, sphere and teachers having to inform parents of what their kids are up to at schools? Well, with virtually every other aspect of society, teachers do tell parents what's going on. But for some reason, when it comes to gender, when it comes to transition, when it comes to the psychological and physical abuse, they're going to hide that from their parents. And they do this on the basis that parents are automatically a threat to their own children. Mm. That's, that's their default setting, is that when it comes to gender, parents are automatically a threat and we need to hide things from them. Who hides things from parents? There's a word for those people. It starts with a G. Rumors. That's what's going on in these schools when it comes to gender. When it comes to the hijab, of course they would tell the parents that there was this going on. And they should tell the parents because whose child is it? The child doesn't belong to the school. The child doesn't belong to the government. We don't co-parent with the government. The child belongs to the parents. And this is a religious issue, so of course they would talk to the parents. But as you've mentioned earlier, Saskatchewan, the education minister, premier said that they need to stop hiding this from parents, but they're not going to enforce it. They're not going to enforce this with teachers. It's still a positive step because at least they're talking about it. And this is how it always goes. It's always little cracks forming in the dam. And those cracks are forming and more and more are gonna form. And then one day there's just gonna be a big rush of common sense. But New Brunswick did the same thing. Yet when the New Brunswick conservative premier said that they need to stop hiding a child's social transition from parents, a bunch of his own cabinet members revolted. Yeah, <laughs> These are supposed to be conservatives. Canada is such yeah. a joke when it comes to conservatism. We don't have a conservative party. And I'm sure I've ticked off all sorts of members of parliament <laughs> in the conservative party, but they deserve it. Yeah. Their job is to hold the accountable. Their job is to be opposition to Justin Trudeau and all of his insanity. If they don't provide any opposition, and they haven't been, who holds the Conservative Party accountable? Somebody has to. So I do it. And I get all these voters saying, well, he's better than Trudeau. Well, yes. My pet cat would be better than Trudeau at running the country. <laughs> but we still need to hold these people accountable. And now all these parents are learning what's going on. The Muslim community in particular is rising up. They're not as afraid as the Christian community. The left doesn't know what to do with them. We saw Trudeau trying to gaslight this Muslim man saying that he was basically falling for propaganda from right-wing Americans as though he doesn't have a brain in his head and can't think for himself. Totally insulting to the Muslim community. But they're not okay with this at all, obviously. Mm. And so they're speaking up and they're going to keep speaking up more and more and we're going to win this battle. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free.
Well, um, so on that, I was going to, I've written about this quite extensively. Um, one, of, one of the things that concerns me is uh, bringing religion into the whole uh, um, opposition to gender ideology. I have some reservations about it because I feel like, um, you know, one can uh, fight this keeping religion out completely. One of my concerns is that some of these uh, hard-won battles uh, when, it, when it's come to things like gay rights, uh, we risk, um, um, you know, um, uh, seeing a regression on those rights. And I would, you know, I personally uh, am concerned about that. Um, you, you know, you're someone who's approached this, you know, just from just from a strictly scientific, um, um, you know, um, common sense approach to, to your activism is rooted in that. What do you make of uh, uh, religious groups coming into the, uh, are, you know, who are now part of the protest? Of course, you can't control. There are all kinds of groups that are going to attach themselves to a mass movement. But uh, but increasingly, we're seeing religious communities come to the fore opposing gender ideology, but sometimes even opposing homosexuality. And right. uh, and what, what do you, does that concern you? It's just not, it's not effective. You're losing a bunch of people. And the truth is that when you look at all the studies into gender dysphoria before we started giving kids puberty blockers, yeah, that, as I mentioned before, 80 to 90% of these kids grew out of it. The most recent study that was done before puberty blockers followed 139 boys from the age of four or five all the way into their 20s. 87.8% grew out of it, but 63.6% grew up to be gay. Mm. And all of the academic studies show this. These are kids who would grow up to be gay who don't conform to stereotypes associated with their sex. Now these same kids today are being told, oh, that's, you're really trans. So these boys who would grow up to be gay men are told, oh no, you're really a girl on the inside. And so it's harming that community a lot. And that's just the truth. That's the fact. The Tavistock has much more recent data on this. Tons of these kids grew up to be gay. Now, I think a lot of these teenagers in this day and age, it's all about having a special identity. So 20% of Gen Z is saying they're LGBTQ of some sort. Some are saying they're trans, they're gay. Some are saying they're just non-binary or they're queer, which means nothing. It just means I want attention. But obviously 20% of the population is not gay. That didn't happen. This is just because they're getting attention and they're, they have this special label now. And it's not cool to be what they call cis or heterosexual anymore. It's cool to have some sort of identity. But I don't think it helps our cause at all when people are against homosexuality. However, people have freedom of religion. And if that's the way their religion sees things, well, they're free to have those beliefs. I don't think we are going to roll back any of those protections that have been done. But I do think these TQ organizations, which call themselves LGBTQ organizations, they're really just TQ organizations, They've shot themselves in the foot and they are hurting gay people as well because when gay rights were won they don't just close the doors and say yay we achieved our objectives everybody they need to keep donations flowing they need to keep everyone employed so the new objective became trans rights and they've tried to equate these as being the same thing mm. and they're not related at all this is hurting the gay community this whole trans business and there's no such thing as a transgender child nobody can define it Nobody can tell you what it means for a girl to be a boy because it doesn't exist. It means nothing. This is a label that some adults have taken on when they've modified their body 
in order to try to deal with a mental distress. But that's all this is. This is a body modification cult that has now affected hundreds of thousands of kids across North America who have come to believe that there's something wrong with them just because they're a little bit different or they're struggling in life. It's nonsense. It's abusive. And we need to get back to reality. There's just boys and girls. Yeah. And so that's what everyone's focus should be. Of course, they're free to express their religious views however they want, but you're not going to win many battles if you're anti-gay. Yeah. Uh, you've been very critical of conservative uh, politicians in Canada, as, a, as have I. Um, I've written about this as well. Uh, for not doing enough about uh, gender ideology, um, but there has been, there. we have heard some recent statements, I think, from the Minister of Education here in Ontario, uh, Stephen Lecce, um, uh, emphasized the importance of parental rights, Saskatchewan, which I referenced earlier in the New Brunswick government. Uh, you think that that is enough. Uh, what exactly do you want them to say or do when it comes to uh, this issue? Ultimately, what needs to happen is there should be no gender identity teachings in schools, period, K to 12. Florida's already done this. They passed legislation for K to three and then the Board of Education followed up banning it from K to 12. And they shouldn't be take teaching sexual orientation either. There should just be basic sex education, you know, the facts about puberty at whatever age is appropriate, but they shouldn't be teaching sexual orientation or gender identity at all. And if a child is taking on a new name and pronouns at school, parents have to know about that. And we shouldn't be compelled to go along with these pronouns either. Because if I was a teacher, there ain't no way you're going to get me to lie to this little girl or boy. I'm not going to call a girl a boy. I'm not going to be that abusive person who goes along with this. Because every time you affirm that, you are affirming a lie and you are reaffirming this message that there's something wrong with them. And these kids throughout the course of the school year are now getting called by these wrong pronouns thousands of times. It's just making this belief even stronger. And now they think, well, I was born wrong, so now I've got to change my body. And it's all a lie. And so teachers shouldn't be compelled to go along with this either. And they should just never be teaching it. And then this would start to go away. But we got to get the truth out there. And we are. So that's the good news. That's the big white pill is we're winning spectacularly on many fronts. And we're just going to keep winning and we're going to keep educating people. Yeah. Um, so clearly uh, you've been gaining a lot of support over the years. Uh, when you started off just basically as a one per person, um, you know, um, operation, but now you have th thousands of people are rallying behind you everywhere you go. Um, what about I've seen at one of the protests that I was with, I, I saw how you were attacked. Do you think that the 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 violence uh, uh, has increased as well uh, in addition to the fact that you're getting a lot of support? Do you also find that the violence has also uh, increased? It's always been there. It's always been there. Yeah. The worst attack I had was over two years ago. It was March of 2021 when I got my arm broken in Montreal. Now though, if I announce I'm going somewhere, if there's any Antifa contingent in that city, they're going to be there. So I went to this thing in Vancouver a couple of weeks ago. Before I got there, I heard Antifa was riding around on their bikes. They're all masked and wearing hoods. One guy on a motorbike looking for me. And I got out of my car and I ran into these two young girls right away. I think they were 19 years old, both transitioning. And I had this nice conversation with them. But then I went over to this rally 
I was harassed for an hour straight by Antifa and some other people. They wouldn't let me walk freely. The police did nothing. Finished that day. It was a good day. I live streamed the whole thing. Drove my car home. Didn't realize anything. But the next morning, I go out to my driveway and I've got four flat tires. Mm. They had messed with the valves and two of the sidewalls for two of my tires had been damaged. So then I had to replace all four tires because none of them would hold air. But they did that while I was at the thing. So this is all they do. And it always backfires because then I announce that on social media and I get tons more support than I would have had. Every time they try to silence me, I get 5 million views instead of a million views on these videos because these videos now are crazy. I just have a basic conversation and it gets 500 or a million or 2 million views. So whatever, they can keep doing this. I don't care. They're just pests. They don't really bother me. All they're doing is helping me. So it is what it is, but we have to stop being afraid of these people because they're nothing. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's very commendable, and you, I have uh, seen you just take it in your stride. But is are there moments when you worry about your own safety, your own personal safety, and the safety of your family? Uh, because you're literally in the trenches, you're uh, there fighting, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I do wonder if this is something that you worry about at the back of your mind. You know, you're thinking about the safety of your family or your own safety, for that matter. Nothing's happened at my house. And that would be really dumb of people to do that. Let me just say that and I will catch them. But I was thinking about this the other day. I think the only time I've ever had a little bit of worry was in the midst of this attack in Montreal because I didn't know what the heck was happening. I was being suddenly hit from all sides. I had no idea this was coming until I was being punched in the face and I was being hit and pushed from all sides. I didn't know how many people there were. I took a really big shot to the back of my head, which kind of left a dent at the base of my skull. But um, there was a split second in there, and time almost slows down in those moments. But even then, I wasn't going to run from these guys. I pulled up my phone. They stomped on my body cam in the middle of the street, so I pulled up my phone to film them for police. And that's when this guy picked up this traffic cone and swung it at my head four times, which I blocked each time, doing my best karate kid impression, wax off <laughs> or wax on, whatever it is. <laughs> but that traffic cone broke my arm which I didn't even know at the time. I knew it hurt a little bit, but you have so much adrenaline running in those situations. And then of course, police did nothing, but no, I don't know. I guess I'm just wired a certain way. These guys don't really bother me that much. I think they're all uh, doing me a favor to be honest with you. So yeah, <laughs> I guess I, in the States, I'm a little, I went to Portland state. I was a little more careful there. Yeah. That's the one time I was careful. I went in the morning. I didn't announce when I was going because we went to Portland State University with Peter Bogosian, the professor who got run out of there, and this big YouTuber from California named James Clue. And so we paid for some security that day because Portland is one city and you need to worry about a little. Okay. But even then, there's only so much security can do. Oh, Portland's the worst uh, I mean, city in just, the uh, North America for violence. And police don't okay. do anything. They have orders to yeah. stand down. They're not going to respond if you're getting attacked. And yeah, Antifa will hurt you there, but you go there in the morning, they're not even awake yet. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Canada uh, recently issued a travel advisory to the U.S. uh, um, warning that some states have enacted laws that might um, affect your visit. (laughs) Um, you know, we give these kinds of advisories to uh, uh, travel to authoritarian regimes, for example. Um, 
but we haven't actually seen any such advisory for places like Iran or Afghanistan or you know a whole host of other countries that criminalize homosexuality. Uh, what do you what do you make of this? It's this so sounds like a cheap political stunt by the Trudeau Liberals. Uh, what's your take on that? That's all it is. This is just classic Trudeau virtue signaling. That's all he does. Every single press conference this man ever has, he's talking about how how victimized some group is and how terrible some other people are. All he does is drive division in this country. He's got to go. The Conservatives need to step up. And the problem with the Conservative Party, I'll tell you some inside info, is if Pierre Poiliev speaks out against this, he'll have a revolt from his own party members because a bunch of them are on board with pushing this trans stuff on kids. His deputy, Melissa Lantzman, when Bill C-4 passed, now Bill C-4 is this bill which makes it a criminal offense to help a girl feel comfortable as a girl or to help a boy feel comfortable as a boy. It's totally fine to indoctrinate your little girl into believing she's a boy and she needs to cut her breasts off and go on testosterone and become a lifelong pharmaceutical patient. That's apparently loving and kind. But if you reject that and don't want to transition your child and want to help them feel comfortable with their own skin, that's now called conversion therapy and you can go to jail for five years. This bill was originally presented as Bill C-6. Kualiev voted for it on all three rounds of voting. Even on the third round of voting, when 62 conservatives, I think it was, voted against it, Kualiev voted for it. Trudeau called an election, so the bill didn't go through in time. The bill came back as Bill C-4. They just waved it through unanimously. And none of them will speak out against this. Melissa Lansman said on camera that this was one of the greatest days for her ever politically when they passed the bill. They were crying and dancing and hugging in the aisles. So you've got all these conservatives like Aaron O'Toole and what's the one out of Calgary? I forget her name. But they're all celebrating this transitioning of children. So if Polyev speaks up about it, he's got a problem within his own ranks. But guess what? We're not going to give him a choice because he can't ignore 90% of parents and he can't ignore all the liberal voters who also want to know when their child has a new name and pronouns at school. 84% of Canadians say that parents should know about this. Hmm. Of the other 16%, most of them don't even know what they're talking about when they get these polls, when they get a phone call or a text or they do this online poll, however they're doing it. If you talk to those other 16%, you'll be able to switch a bunch of them around to common sense right away. And then you'll be left with six or 7% of the population, mostly young women, young leftist women who are pushing this, they're the foot soldiers. They're never gonna go along with this because they've been too indoctrinated. And this preys on their natural compassion and they believe that kids are gonna kill themselves. And they think that parents are a threat to their own children. It's total nonsense. But 90% of the country is in favor of common sense. So the Conservatives can't avoid this forever. So the more they vote it, the more they're putting themselves between a rock and a hard place. Poliev says this is up to the provinces to decide. That's not enough. He needs to speak out about cultural issues, not just inflation. Yeah. What, why do you think the medical community in the UK, Sweden, Norway, and all of these other countries which have um, uh, have reversed some of these uh, things on gender, um, on puberty blockers, and, the, uh, and so on, what you know why has the medical community in canada why have they been slow to act what you know what 
what um, gave a rise to these decisions in these other countries? What, what exactly was the impetus? It only takes a few people at the top of medical body to do the right thing. Mm. There was a lot of awareness campaigning in the UK. They were a bit ahead of us for sure. And it's easier to reach that whole population, honestly, because there's 75 million people or whatever it is on a little island. You can reach everybody easier, but we're captured ideologically. Our medical bodies are being run by ideologues. We saw this during COVID. They're not truthful. So a bunch of these heads of provincial medical bodies have got to go, but they're installed by the NDP government or whatever government is in charge. So good luck fixing this in BC right now with the NDP. It's not gonna happen. We need to vote them out. We need to get new medical officers and then they need to do the right thing. But yeah, England, Sweden, Finland have all conducted a systematic review, which is the gold standard for medicine, looking at all the evidence, unbiased, and found there is no evidence to support this. Norway and Denmark are working off of their systematic reviews to also put a stop to this. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, announced that they are now conducting a systematic review. This is huge. They can't possibly hide everything. I still don't believe they're going to do it completely honestly because they're a corrupt organization. But it's a huge step. And they've been ignoring calls from doctors within their own body, the AAP, and now they're not because of all of the outrage we've created. This is because of parents speaking up. This is because of people learning what's going on and they can't ignore it anymore. So with Canada, we often follow the US. So when the AAP fixes this and the AMA, American Medical Association, and the Endocrine Society, where the president just received letters from top medical officials from I think 15 different countries, something like that in Europe, they all wrote to the president of the Endocrine Society telling him that he was lying because he's saying things that go contrary to their own findings previously, mm -hmm. but he's a liar. And so they were calling him out on it. And so these medical scandals, like the lobotomy 2.0 is what we're going through right now. It can only last for so long. What's going on is a lobotomy for the endocrine system, but we're doing this to kids and we're doing this to far more kids than we're ever affected by lobotomies. So this is a far worse scandal. But hey, we just keep getting the truth out there and the truth spreads for free. Propaganda requires millions of dollars to spread, but the truth spreads for free and we're going to keep spreading it. Well, let's hope the medical community wake, uh, here in Canada wakes up uh, soon, uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, final question for you, Chris, what's uh, on the agenda for you for the coming months? Uh, what should we be looking out for uh, in terms of what you're going to be up to? I know we talked about your protest uh, coming up in Toronto, but uh, tell us what else you're uh, going to be up to. Yeah, I'm super excited. So I'll be in Washington State just for a couple of days pretty soon. Next big thing is the protest September 22 in Toronto. Then I fly out the next morning to Baltimore. I've got some events on the weekend there. And then I have another protest in Monroe, in Montgomery County, Maryland, on the 26th of September. That night, I have a town hall with several community leaders and Moms for Liberty, and it's going to be televised. It's going to be big. So that's another big event. And what I'm extremely excited about going forward for the entire year, for who knows how long, is I'm now working with the Leadership Institute, which a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's a really large and old and successful conservative organization in the States. 
And for the longest time, they've been training people. They train them how to run for politics and to win. There's a new division uh, run out of Sarasota, Florida by my friend Bridget Ziegler. And they are training people how to run for school board all across the country and how to win so that they can flip these school boards from liberal to conservative, because that's the only way we're gonna fix a lot of this stuff. A lot of people rely on the prime minister or the president to be some savior. That's not how it works. Change happens at the grassroots level. And what we need to do in Canada is get people running for school board, but they don't really know how to do it successfully. So we're gonna to need to start an organization up here to do that same sort of thing. But I'm gonna to be touring the US, the Leadership Institute, speaking at universities. And instead of me just hanging out uninvited on a university campus, the Leadership Institute has campus reform uh, groups at all these universities all across the country. So they'll be inviting me in for formal events where I speak. And this will start these mini riots on campus, which generates this whole media circuit, the whole media cycle and generates millions of views. So it's gonna be a huge year. And I'm gonna be in London at the end of October and I'm invited to Jordan Peterson's conference that he's having there, October 30th to November 1st. I'm going to go over to Ireland for a few days because they have this hate speech bill that needs some more exposure. And last time I was in Ireland, it was pretty easy to generate national news just hanging out on the busiest road in Dublin there. Some police got involved and embarrassed themselves and I got, I think, 6 million views plus national news. So I'm going to go back there and help them out with their hate speech bill. But really, I'm just most of the time going to be traveling around Canada and the US and doing what I do, having one conversation at a time often just out on the streets. I'm never going to stop doing that. Well, uh, good for you, Chris, and I wish you all the best. And I really enjoyed this conversation with you and uh, so glad that you could make it. And I, um, yeah, I hope to see you again soon. And uh, and um, yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you, Rupa. I hope I see you on the 22nd, Toronto. Um, I hope, no, actually, I unfortunately, I won't be ah. uh, in Toronto, but... Uh, it's it's seven hours away or six hours away by car and I I, I don't know I'll, I'll try my best but uh, try your best but... I'll send an Uber. <laughs> thanks for having me, Rupa. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so bye. much. Yeah, bye.